I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. Today on the show, we welcome Brett Heyman, founder of the design-centric heirloom quality accessories and home goods brand, Edie Parker. Brett breaks down her journey from scouring antique shops for vintage on Fairfax to building a globally recognized brand. We talk about what originally sparked Brett to launch the brand, where she finds inspiration, and what it's been like to launch a sister brand merging fashion and cannabis. As always, we hope you enjoy the show. Where are you from originally? Born in New York City, but moved to LA when I was 10. So I consider myself an, an East Coast and a West Coaster. And then I came back East for college and stayed. Where did you go to college? To Syracuse. I studied communications um, at the Newhouse School at Syracuse and, and always wanted to work in fashion and communications. And, and then I just moved to New York and stayed. And what uh, career-wise, what were you doing before launching both the brands? I worked in fashion. So I started working at Gucci shortly after I graduated college and worked in the PR department and then left and went to Dolce & Gabbana and then back to Gucci. And by the time I left there, I was the director of PR. So I covered a lot of categories. I covered men's, women's accessories and had a lot of experience in accessories, which gave me a little bit of, I guess, courage to start the brand originally because I felt like I knew the space pretty well. Did you end up leaving a job to launch the brand or, or how did it start originally? So I had a baby and my baby's name is <laughs> Edie Parker Heyman. So um, I had had this child and it was fairly transformative as a life experience. And I had always wanted to be more creative and doing something more creative. And I think having her just kind of forced the issue for me because if I was going to be a working parent, which I was always going to be, and if I was gonna leave this little thing every day to do something, I wanted it to be something that was to me important or felt like it, like I was trying to build something and, and something I guess to admire. So that's how it happened. So yes, I left Gucci shortly after having my first child to start Edie Parker. And uh, what was the original idea and vision for the product line that you ultimately started? It's like such a fascinating brand. Well, thanks. I mean, I mean it's I a fascinating know. world of brands that you've created. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit like of a head scratcher, I think, for people when they first hear about everything that we do. But but I'll walk you through it. Hopefully it'll make <laughs> sense. Um, well, as I said, I, I grew up in L.A. and I was always a thrifter and like spent my weekends. My mom would drop me off on one end of Melrose by Fairfax in the morning. And I would say I'll meet you with the Johnny Rockets at four o'clock. And I would just go up and down Melrose and and look at vintage and collect vintage. And I always collected these vintage acrylic bags in addition to a lot of other stuff. But as I got older and, and I moved and you know had to clean out my parents' house and then moved to New York and had a teeny apartment, I had to mostly give that stuff away. But I always kept the acrylic clutches. And 
every time I wore them, there was this sense of nostalgia for people like, oh, you know, my aunt had a bag like that or my grandma or my mom or just curiosity. They're just this really, really cool item. And they are very reminiscent of this time, you know, post-war America, 1950s, when America's setting fashion trends globally and the use of plastic and all this innovation is very much a part of that. And so because I said, as I said, I covered accessories and covered evening bags in my previous jobs. Um, I felt like nobody was really treating them the way that I thought there was room to do, like with a sense of sort of whimsy and like, you know, dressy, but casual. And so really I launched it as a line of acrylic clutches, you know, vintage inspired, totally inspired by the ones that came before it. And like their predecessors, they're handmade in America. And we've since like expanded capability and, and work in Italy too. But that's was really the origin of it. How did you even start manufacturing the bags? Because it seems like kind of a hard thing to to start making like it's something that was made in the past i'd imagine that the manufacturing of them or like of that style had kind of gone away to some extent completely a hundred percent um it was really hard because i had no experience in manufacturing and really it was as sort of juvenile as Googling plastic manufacturers in America and just like writing down numbers of manufacturers in any state that I could get to um, and just calling them and explaining what I wanted to do. And most people to your point were like, no, thank you. That's, it's too small of an item and I don't want to do that. Um, and so it really was just a lot of trial and error and a lot of R and D and it was frustrating. And frankly, it continues to be kind of frustrating because it is this very specialized item. And it also, you know, I get some pushback sometimes about, you know, you work in acrylic, why is it expensive? But it is like, we have trained a team of artisans essentially to hand make an item in a factory in America, getting paid a living wage. And they make something that like hasn't been made since the fifties and sixties. Now, of course you could injection mold acrylic and you can make it much less expensively and you can absolutely treat it differently, but the hand feel and the look and just the, the heirloom quality of it, like you touch some of the bags that we make with the inlays and like you feel it. It's like a puzzle. I mean, it's this really beautiful luxury item that, that, that I think is, you know, it's very special. How, how did you think about launching the brand and like getting product placement. I'm assuming that with your background too, you kind of like dove into the wholesale or retail space. Yeah. Well, that's where I was really lucky. And frankly, where I think I was strategic. And, and when I talk to young people who want to start businesses, I always suggest working in an industry you want to be in first to like, you know, have experience and to have contacts and just knowledge, obviously, and frankly, save a little money. But um, yeah, when I was ready to launch, I had had this nearly 10 years of experience. So I knew people in retail, I knew stylists, I knew uh, influencers, I don't even think we called them then, <laughs> that then. But um, so yeah, it was like, it was just, it was not so foreign and daunting. So we were really, we got lucky. We launched at Barney's and we got a piece in Vogue at launch and, and we were on every red carpet. We were on the Oscars that year. We were at the Met Gala that year. And it was just because I knew how that whole system worked. It wasn't just like, here's me with a product in the middle of New York city and, and not knowing what to do with it. That's insane. I didn't even have any, any idea of the background. Like I'm purely an outsider looking uh, at the brand, like I say this might sound weird, but the brand world that you've created, it's like so interesting because even the two brands that you have, 
don't really seem like you would launch both of those or like there's no real um, direct connection between the two. From, from the launch then after getting the Barneys, was that just like your pathway into any any retail partner that you wanted to to attract at that point? Yeah, I mean, it was such a different time. I mean, I'm I'm sounding like a dinosaur. It was only like, you know, <laughs> nine years ago, probably, or eight years ago, but but it really was a different time. I mean, wholesale was so different and the landscape was so different. So launching at Barney's really meant something then. And it means that it meant that like Bergdorf was gonna call and they did. And then Sachs called. They, you know, they really followed Barney's as sort of a, a first mover in, in launching new brands. And also things like the red carpet really mattered. So as I mentioned, we were on every red carpet and therefore we were like in every Us Weekly at the time. I mean, really like, you know, it's it just yeah. it wasn't Instagram then, it was Us Weekly it was so important. And I remember we had this Vogue piece, which for me as a fashion PR person, like getting in Vogue was like, that was it, you know, that you could retire. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I was excited, but nothing really happened. And then, we got in Us Weekly did like a full page feature on all these celebrities carrying our bags. And like then Neiman Marcus picked us up. So yeah, it was really, it was really lucky. And we grew really fast. And then I made a ton of mistakes because we grew quicker than we probably should have. And very candidly, I mean, I can say this now because now I don't really care, but the <laughs> contracts that you had to sign with those department stores were so predatory. So we really grew. And then at the end of the season, if we didn't sell a lot, it would be like, okay, well, we want to, we want to send most of this back if you want to keep working with us, um, which creates all kinds of inventory problems, obviously, and, and markdown issues. So I made a lot of mistakes in those early years, but but got very lucky as well. What do you what do you think some of the biggest mistakes that you made were like looking back on it? I mean, obviously, like now I feel like with the pandemic too, like even thinking about the wholesale, like the structure of wholesale business back then, that it was just like understood and standard that they would send product back to you at the end, even though it's like totally their responsibility to right. sell market and sell product that they buy. Or buy less. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. they also did something which is so crazy and, and I can't believe we went along with it, but it, you're really powerless as a young brand. So they would expect that you would make them exclusive product. So here it is where you're like a young brand and you've designed what you think works and you produce and you sample what you can afford and what you think makes sense in a cohesive, coherent collection. And then a big department store comes in and they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to buy this line, but we want you to design X, Y, and Z for us, which you do, even if you don't agree, because frankly, like, I don't know, like th what the Dallas woman wanted more than the Neiman's buyer did. So you listen and you, and you design and manufacture what they order, but then if they don't sell it, then it's your problem. So then you're stuck with inventory on something that you didn't even design in the first place. Yeah, that's insane. Like, I think nowadays after the pandemic, it's almost like how can you ever go back to working in the way that you did with retail partners like that? Just because it was so uneven, like the playing field is so uneven. It's Yeah. 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 No, I think that's why so many young brands go out of business, honestly. Like they just have no power. You're it's so different now. And, and it, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's obviously so much better, but 
new yeah. problems are always come up, obviously, but just being able to speak directly with your customer the way that you can now and test water and get feedback is just, you know, it, it probably, for us at least, it, it saves a lot of waste. Yeah. Now that I asked you like five other questions uh, during that process, what do you feel like was were some of the biggest mistakes that you made in the early days looking back? I think certainly uh, the wholesale relationships were tricky and I wish I had known more or asked more questions of peers or, or people I admired in the industry. I think I probably could have been a little bit more curious about how to circumvent some of those problems. But also I think there's a temptation for everybody with a little bit of success. Like, you know, once you, you do well in a category, I think it's the natural tendency of people. And it certainly was for me to be like, okay, well, I want to be everybody. I want to be everything to everybody. Now this woman that likes us for this specific thing that we do, let's give her a lot more options. And it turns out that like, she probably doesn't want those options from us, you know, like, and, and I'm really talking specifically handbags. Um, I used to say, and I thought it was so pithy, like, you know, we own this girl on Friday and Saturday nights. Let's give her something to wear every other day of the week. And, and, in fact, like she's fine. She has handbags she can wear other days of the week. Um, so I think there was a lot of sort of this feeling like we had to grow and we had to do so much more. And we really didn't. And I think like just sticking in a lane that we're good at and reinventing that and innovating in that lane doesn't mean you can't do new things, but just not feeling like you have to be a solve for everything. I'm going to go probably totally out of order, but I'm just yeah, cool. purely following my own curiosity. What spawned uh, the idea to launch a, a second brand in a totally different market and maybe explain uh, like the idea of, of the positioning and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think of it as a second brand. I think of it as an extension of our brand. It's just, obviously it's a very regulated industry. So it has to live on its own in a lot of ways, but that's not by choice. It's, it's you know, when you're dealing with a federally illegal substance. So basically um, to back up a little bit. So we were making acrylic clutches and bags and we have a big personalization business that I'm very proud of and is still a big driver of our brand. And uh, with that in mind, we launched a home collection in 2016. So mostly in acrylic and other materials that sort of mimic acrylic, we would make trays and boxes and coasters um, and, and would personalize those or just, you know, make collections of them. And they were very popular. And we felt like there was a lot of opportunity to grow that business and really enjoy that business. And so in those conversations about what other home items we wanted to make, the use of cannabis would often come up because we're a small team and cannabis is a part of most of our lives. And um, it just sort of occurred to us that nobody was really making cannabis accessories that looked like our accessories that were feminine, that were colorful, that were meant to be displayed and sort of surprise and delight in the way that our handbags do. Um, and so we felt like we can do, we could do better. And we started to make them and really started thinking about it in earnest um, in about 2018. So set about to do a proper cannabis collection. And while researching accessories, we would go to a lot of dispensaries, we would travel a lot. And it sort of occurred to us that the dispensaries had the same problem, that there was a lot on the shelves, but it was mostly medicinal or like promoted health and wellness. Mostly it felt like uh, an Apple item or an Apple product, or like it felt like it was something like at an apothecary. And so again, this idea of just like 
having weed be celebratory and just like, you know, if you want to just get high and buy this really beautiful package and this really giftable item um, that feels like something that Edie Parker would make, we thought that we could have a companion actual flower product to go with the accessories. I apologize. It's such a run on, but basically (laughs) to make a long story short, in May of 19, we launched Flower by Edie Parker. um, And it is, as we like to say, the first brand of its kind to fully merge the worlds of fashion and flower. Um, and, and we're super into it. How did you, how did you think about like launching a business in such a regulated space? Again, like no background, no, I mean, maybe you partnered with people that had background, but. I mean, I guess when you put it like that, it's a, it's a pretty naive ambition. Um, (laughs) And you're right. You're right. I think that the accessories were not that daunting because they were accessories. And so we know how to make accessories. And I think that's one of the things that we do at Flower that not everybody can say, which is like, we have been bringing product to market for 10 years now. And for the most difficult partners, like we're good at that. We know how to do that. We care a lot about the consumer experience. So the accessories were not scary. The Flower itself, we did partner with um, someone to sort of white label for us. But even that experience, if I'm being very candid, which I am for some reason about everything, like that was not a really positive experience at first because they did not bring product to market in the way that we were used to. So things that seemed really second nature for us about product development and production, like, you know, it it just, it was, it was difficult, but we did it. And, and you know, the, the challenge is obviously like once you do it in one state, it doesn't mean you can do it in all the states where it's legal. You have to be vertically integrated in every state. And so like basically start from scratch every time you do it and with totally different product regulations and, and packaging regulations. So it's, it's, it's tricky. How, uh, how did you, how do you structure like your, your team, your time, like working between the two industries i know you say they're not two brands like it's one brand that you built in two different like product categories yeah i mean and i'm i'm dead serious about it because we don't have anybody who's devoted to just flower or just Edie parker we have a team where Every function works across Ed Parker, Ed Parker Flower, and Ed Parker Home. I mean, everybody, whether design, production, you know, uh, product development, marketing, social, every role is shared. So, so it really is one brand. If we think of it as like a you know a first of its kind lifestyle brand for cannabis. When you're thinking about starting a new category, or like launching product in a new category, even creatively like working in a new category do you are you um it seems like you're very just like inspired by the creative aspects of it and less concerned about the risk up front how did you originally fund the business and build the business into a place where you have the freedom to make interesting choices I mean, you're absolutely right. I remember meeting with an investor once several years in and afterwards he said to a a mutual friend of ours, like, I don't even think she knows how many bags she's ever sold. Like, (laughs) I really am concerned with the creative. I am a creative, like, you know, sometimes people in meetings call me a CEO and like, you know, the girls on my team and I laugh afterwards because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not what I concern myself with the most. You're absolutely right. But, you know, you have to grow up and learn that that is 
equally as important. Um, as I said earlier, and, and the advice I give people is I had a job, you know, I had a, a job for a while and was able to save money. So when I launched, it wasn't like I was right out of college and, and just trying to, to make things with, with no experience. So it really started just self-funded, very small. And because of the sort of artisan nature of the, the product, it's not like I had any minimum issues. Like I didn't have to make one skew and, and produce two to 500 bags. I could make things in batches of two to 10. Um, so we just basically were small until we grew and grew and grew. And then, you know, eventually took in mostly friends and family money because we had a real proof of concept. And so people had started to approach me and say, you know, if you, if you ever take in money, so that's what we've done and that's all we've ever done. And obviously now I think we're at a, a place where we'd like to grow more. And so we'll have to look at that in a different way, but, but we've been lucky. Do you, uh, do you ever find it challenging, like working between all of the different, uh, creative outputs, like managing your own attention or energy that goes into each, you know, like you said that they're not separate beings. Yeah. Right. I mean, not really. I don't know if that question makes any sense. For sure. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I don't think it's challenging because I know, as I said, like when sometimes when people hear about flowers, sometimes either they're like super delighted by it. They're like, that's so cool. What a great idea. Or they're like, I don't get it. You make those expensive handbags with people's names on them. Why do you make weed? But for <laughs> me, the way that I see it is like, really like, you know, what I think of as our role in the cannabis business doesn't exist and we're filling that role. So for me, it is weed for women by women. And that girl that we're talking to likes our handbags. She likes our coasters. She likes the swizzle sticks we make for your drinks. So I think of it as like, I we're talking in my opinion to the same person. Now, maybe the same person doesn't want to buy all our products, but I think a lot of brands have that where you like get your t-shirts from one brand, but you want to get your socks somewhere else. You know I mean? It's just for me in my head, it makes sense because I want all the products. Um, and the second part of that question is I myself am not confused or overwhelmed by it, but I think that like we have such untapped potential still. Like, I feel like if we brought on more people to like really focus on like, you know, on segmenting them a little bit more. So like someone was devoted to flower and devoted to Edie Parker in a way that we can't be now, I think it would be just like, you know, I mean, we're on an audio. Sorry, the potential would be huge. <laughs> um, how you talking through like that you are more um, concerned with the creative aspects and that, and those are my words, not yours, but uh, I'm curious, like building a team, how, how was it for you or how, maybe it was natural or you had to learn, like, did you bring people on and just really entrust them with, with their roles in order to free your time and energy up to, to continue focusing on the creative? Like, how do you spend your time? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't stress enough how little we are. So there's really no, like, someone's doing something and I'm out of that process. Like we all are working cross-functionally all the time. So there's no like PD meeting that I'm not sitting in. There's no sales meeting that I'm not sitting in. And everybody's sort of the same in the same way. There's no like creative meeting that we're not bringing people into afterwards because it's such a small team that has to, to get everything done. I mean, we just, you have to, we all wear a lot of, a lot of hats. 
what do you uh in terms of in terms of um new product developments like what are you most excited about that you're uh, maybe you can't even talk about it but uh that you're currently kind of exploring are you guys are you guys looking to expand into into more product categories or really grow through the through the uh three different kind of sections that you're in currently definitely grow in those sections. Like I think we haven't even scratched the surface with cannabis accessories. I mean, there's just so much more that we want to do. There's so much that we have coming up. Um, I really like, I really believe it when I say that like, there's just accessories that don't look like ours in the space. And I think as cannabis gets more and more normalized, um, people are going to want items that feel branded and feel designed and feel like exciting that you want to show off. And that's why, what we think, we think that people should engage with cannabis like they do any other consumer good that brings them joy. And so we want to provide that experience for them. So there's like so much to do there and, and we're, you know, in where we're bringing things to market almost monthly in that category. Um, and with the actual flower as well, like, you know, we've had California is really, really hard as a market for cannabis. Um, and I think, we definitely made mistakes and know so much more than we did two years ago. So just continuing to sort of refine our skews and figure out what the market wants from us. And, and there's so much more to launch. Like we'd love to do edibles. We'd love to have more pre-rolls. Like we just, there's, there's a lot to do in those categories. Looking back since launching the brand, uh, I'm guessing your, your experience at the luxury like in the luxury sector really um informed informed just like your vision because i feel like you're kind of you've you've created your own spaces in these markets like the the bags totally unique to things that are out there the accessories that you're making in the cannabis space same thing and even the way that you think about like creating a brand in in cannabis like it seems like you're really early to that uh yet you have like a ton of conviction for the long term even probably while dealing with like the stresses of every day like running a business day to day how do you how do you balance the day-to-day -day stresses with like your long-term view cannabis yeah that's a great <laughs> great point no, but I really appreciate you saying that though, because I feel that way too. I feel like we're early and, and first movers in a lot of categories and we're specifically in cannabis, the way that we look at it. And, you know, you don't always get credit for that. You know, like we could be too early or, you know, people just aren't really believing what we have to say right now. And I, and I hope that's not the case, but that does keep me up a lot at night, but I, I, I really do appreciate your saying that. I mean, I, I feel like that would be the hardest part. Like, you're, um, yeah, managing your own like mental space when I would imagine you're like somewhat misunderstood in that world. Like everything in cannabis right now, seems to be like tech, tech focused or like, I guess tech focused in two ways, like either flowers, like tech focused on what strain everything is, or it's like tech focused on, um, the ways that you intake things and the brands are like very underdeveloped or not even really like people really don't even care about the brands 
currently and even the retail spaces are just like it's either such shitty product ranges or like almost like the same set of people that you would find everywhere and i i feel like having the patience and staying on the the path would be the most difficult part of getting into anything like this i i guess you've probably dealt with that the whole time through building the business entirely yeah i mean look we our hypothesis is that eventually people will care about brands in this space like they care about brands in every other space and frankly like I think a lot of the plant innovation is intimidating and that's not how I engage with cannabis. And, and so I think there is definitely like there's room for something that's not intimidating. We talk about every package that we make is printed with for a good time. Like we just want this to be something that like, it's a consumer product that you can trust. That is like really beautiful. That sparks joy for you. That's really giftable. And that's like, again, not intimidating. Like it's not gonna, can I curse on this podcast? Yeah. It's not gonna completely fuck you up. You can have it with booze. It's just like, it's just a life enhancer the way that we think that cannabis should be the way that we think your, our accessories are like, it's just about like color and optimism and joy and again having a good time how do you um how do you personally um enjoy cannabis and also this like totally selfish how uh how do you talk about cannabis around your family your kids well both my husband and i work in cannabis and my husband's more obsessed with the plant than I am. So <laughs> cannabis is always around. And it's one of those things that you really have to talk to about kids, talk to about with kids early, because otherwise there's like, you know, you got to like tell them that they can't have any candy that's not in the kitchen or like, you know, they can't touch anything. But, but we talk a lot about it in a, in a way that we think it should be talked about, which is like, you know, a lot of criminal justice reform, a lot of sort of injustice about how how people were persecuted because of cannabis and how it's a plant and how it's been medicine for thousands of years. So we talk to them about it in a way that we think is productive, but we also, we drink alcohol. So we talk about it in the same way that like, you know, we drink alcohol when we go out or we're with friends or we want to relax. Like it, it's it's not anything that we think shouldn't be, you shouldn't be open with your kids about. I'm curious also with the shift in the retail landscape uh, since the pandemic, like how how have you how have you shifted business into more of like I'm also assuming that you already were kind of moving in this direction the entire time, but uh, how has it changed things moving like into almost a completely direct consumer landscape now, especially in the luxury space? where I don't feel like that's as simple with products that people like have to touch and feel to feel yeah. like the real value of them. Look, I think it's it's great in a lot of ways because you have total control over the look of your product online um, and, and certainly how you talk about it and your markdowns and everything else. So there's a lot of control, which is nice, but it's also really expensive to to market and to, to get your name out there. So it, it comes with its own challenges. And when you add cannabis to that, which has like onerous marketing, marketing restrictions, it's, it's difficult, but I think certainly with flower, it's something that like is really resonating with a lot of people. And so it's growing organically. And I think that 
we're just forced now to be really choosy about partners and trying to find partners that share our vision and believe in what we're doing, whether it's Edie Parker or Flower by Edie Parker. Um, and, and knowing that like growth is probably slower and, and probably much more prudent, honestly. So I think you just, as long as we can hang on and not get too frustrated about, about, you know, getting more eyes on us and then I think it'll be okay. How do you, uh, how, what's your like time horizon for success with like what you're trying to build? And also how do you um, keep yourself in a creative mindset? Hmm. I feel like I've asked you so many random questions. No, no, uh, you're just really making me, you're, con- you're making me confront a lot of my behavior. Um, timeline, I don't know. I think like turning week the next 12 to 24 months for us with for flower I think will be fairly transformative and I think there's a lot that we can do um and then creatively I don't know I mean I think people who are creative tend to be pretty curious and so for me it's like I'm always like pouring over stuff that I find inspiring whether it's photography books or art stuff I mean I used to live in the city where I could go to museums all the time and see people on the street that's that's more difficult now but I think you know maybe I'm less creative and we like have a little (laughs) bit less output now but I think it's just it's something that's natural where you just love to see things and and find things that are sticky and create things I mean it just I, I really do I think I don't think you can force that I totally agree. Would you, uh, if you could, going back to when you started the brand or even started thinking about it, is there any advice that you would give yourself that would maybe not even change things, just help you throughout the whole process? I mean, sure. But <laughs> I think, I think mostly, I I think really just asking more questions, which I know sounds juvenile, but like looking back, there are so many problems that I could have solved before they happened if I just knew what to ask or, or talk to more people. I think like, you know, as you said, like, I think I'm a creative person. So I sort of just kept my head down and kept making things and outputting things that I thought were really cool. But I think that you have to think more 360 and think more, you know, like have that business side, as you mentioned, um, and, and think about the brand growth and, and just maybe some strategies more than I did initially. But I feel like now (laughs) I've already made all those mistakes. I'm like 10 years into this. So, so now I feel like I know what's happening. I was going to say, do you have any way that you like force yourself to ask questions today or is it like the experience no I ask questions constantly I'm so annoying I'm calling people all the time I'm getting (laughs) opinion I'm I'm gonna ask you questions when you're done it's gonna be my turn I mean please no you have to learn from your mistakes right I mean it would be terrible to to learn and then just not implement them I know it's kind of a terrible question after you told me that that would be your advice uh well thank you so much for doing this I love the brands that you've built uh yeah, I think they're fascinating. And just like the approach to it seems amazing and fun. Well, that's really nice of you to say. You're really delightful. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Bread receipt. Bread receipt. Bread receipt.